Today's teaching text is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning. (laughs) And welcome again to First Free. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Maggie, and I am the worship and youth director here, uh, which basically means that I get to hang out with middle and high schoolers every week. And I spend a lot of time on this stage over there, not here, uh, especially not here for this long. Uh, and I feel very unprotected and exposed without my guitar in front of me. Um, but though I am nervous, uh, I am honored to have been given this opportunity to preach. And I'm very excited to be wearing this lab mic, actually, because I've always wanted to wear them, (laughs) and I've never gotten to. Uh, But in all seriousness, I am excited to be changing it up and bringing the word this morning. So thank you for giving me this opportunity, and may God be glorified. Uh, Will you all pray with me as I, we, anchor in the Spirit? Heavenly Father, it is all about you, and only you. You, God of peace, God of joy, settle softly on our hearts this morning and open them to receive what you have for us today. Holy Spirit, fill this space and fill me that I may be a vessel for you, your words, and your glory. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Amen. Lent. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, so not only is this my first sermon ever, but it's on the really easy, breezy topic of mortality (laughs) and death and fasting, so here we go. Uh, Lent is a period of time in the church calendar that begins uh, 40 days before Easter, uh, not including Sundays, Uh, and in this period of time, the time between day one of Lent, which was actually Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday, Christians dedicate extra energy to prayer and fasting. Uh, They do this to commemorate the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness and to prepare for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and, praise God, for his ultimate resurrection. 
Lent is a season of stripped back, of abstinence, of giving up, of reflection on our mortality, reminders that from dust we came and to dust we will return. A week or so before Lent began last year, our staff was reading a book together by a man named Pete Scazzaro, and I learned that Jesus got in trouble all the time for delighting in people too much. Delighting in people too much. I would love to be described as someone who delights in people too much. A few days later, my roommate came home and said she thought God was stirring in her the ability to delight in the small things. She had taken her dog on a long walk that afternoon and said she found sweet delight. She followed that with, delight is my word for the season. Huh, delight. There was that word again. An evening or so later, both of my roommates at the time and I were chilling in our living room, and we were reminiscing on the season of Lent the year prior, which would have been 2022, uh, remembering just the dark time it was in all of our lives for various reasons. The conversation evolved into how incredible it is that this Lent season, this being 2023's Lent season, feels different and better, and we were excited to see what God could do in our giving up and in our fasting that year. As we were discussing what we were going to fast from that year, suddenly one of my roommates burst out and said, we should give up light bulbs for Lent. (laughs) We all kind of looked at each other and A few days later, we left Ikea with almost $400 worth of candles and three cinnamon rolls. (laughs) The consensus was this, candlelight only in the house, no artificial light. And because screens are artificial light, we also decided no binge-watching TV shows and no social media. Uh, To make it even harder on ourselves, we also added no desserts. And I also added no caffeine to the list. Suffice it to say, I was grateful that Sundays were feast days. Apparently, uh, back in the day before the invention of the light bulb, people got on average 11 hours of sleep per night. 11 hours. This was one of the core reasons behind our decision to rid ourselves of artificial light and distractions. We thought... Maybe when we're tired at 9.30, we'll actually just go to bed. Another core reason behind this decision was to pull our attention from distraction toward delight. In small things and in others and in God. Maybe when we can't ignore others or God with the distractions of our artificially lighted screens, we'll actually just be with them, with him, instead. One thing we connected early on was that our word for the season was delight, and we were also delighting our house. (laughs) Sometimes I just love the way God works in some humor, and I had to throw that in here. Uh, We wanted to become people who delight in others too much and get enough sleep. We wanted to become like Jesus. We, the capital C Church, engage in the season of Lent to become more like Jesus. We engage in the season of Lent because Jesus did. 
In Matthew 4, which was read so beautifully for us today by Steph, uh, we learn about Jesus in the desert, alone, deprived, hungry, tempted, 40 days. This was the first Lent. As I was reflecting on this passage in preparation for this sermon, there were three words that kept circling in my mind. Deprivation, death, and as you maybe could have guessed, delight. So this morning we are going to explore those three words and how they relate to Jesus, to Lent, and to what Jesus may be calling you into in this season of Lent. The word deprivation is defined as the lack or denial of something considered to be a basic necessity in society. Uh, According to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, physiological things or, or basic needs considered necessity in society are oxygen, food, water, shelter, clothing, warmth, and sleep. Your kids may argue that a cell phone should be added to this list. Uh, That was my argument as a kid, but I'll let you handle that discussion. Now, I would be wrong to not acknowledge the blessing and privilege it is that I've had these physiological needs met all of my life. And there are people even now in our city, unhoused migrants who are without some of these necessities. And though we entrust them to God's care, it's my prayer that we would seek God's direction in how we as humans and how we as a church can help provide for where their needs are where we can. So, like I said, I've never been seriously deprived, but I have been in charge of a middle and high school (laughs) lock-in. For those of you who don't know, first off, what a lock-in is, it's a youth event where we spend 12 hours overnight in a church playing games, hanging out, and sleep is extremely frowned upon, not by the leaders, (laughs) by the youth, And uh, secondly, for those of you who don't know, I love sleep. (laughs) And when I don't get enough sleep, uh, it's not good. My ability to function well and unfiltered significantly decreases. Thankfully, though I did get some flack from some youth, uh, I was able to get about three hours of sleep at our lock-in last year. But that was far from enough. And I know you all know this feeling, the feeling of extreme exhaustion. Like your eyelids are heavy, your head kind of hurts, your body aches. Maybe this is just me, but I kind of feel like I'm in a parallel universe. (laughs) I get more emotional. I can't think straight. Deprivation is not a fun feeling. Jesus was deprived. Jesus was without food for 40 days. Without food for 40 days, that is longer than a month. He didn't have like a veggie juicer or a smoothie blender to make a drink. Uh, You know, he he had nothing. Jesus was also in the wilderness. 
So not only was Jesus without food, he was without shelter, probably without warmth sometimes. His clothing options were most likely very limited, if not just one outfit. Uh, He probably wasn't sleeping well. He didn't have a faucet of clean drinking water. The only necessity he had in abundance from our list of necessities was oxygen, breath. Now, just before Jesus is led into the wilderness, we read about Jesus' baptism at the end of Matthew chapter 3. And it says that at the moment Jesus comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descends on him like a dove. So, in abundance, Jesus has oxygen and the Holy Spirit. What's cool about this is that the Hebrew word used here for God's spirit is ruach. Ruach is translated and used in a few different ways throughout scripture. Uh, This is because the Hebrew language doesn't have as many words as the English language. So certain words are used and reused in Hebrew to mean different yet similar things. And ruach is one of those words. Ruach can mean breath, it can mean wind, it can mean spirit, and what all of these have in common is energy. So the word ruach can actually encompass both of what Jesus has in abundance here, oxygen and the Holy Spirit, breath, energy, ruach, God's spirit. So, Jesus receives the gift of Ruach, then Ruach leads him into the wilderness. He doesn't send him into the wilderness, he doesn't leave him in the wilderness, he leads him, he's with him in the wilderness. And he leads him, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, to be tempted by the devil. So the first thing Jesus does is fast. And when he becomes hungry, scripture says the tempter comes. The devil, the tempter, addresses first Jesus' hunger. If you're really who you say you are, like, make these rocks bread. Like, eat some food. Satisfy your hunger. Like, you can do it. Jesus replies, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Breath, ruach. I get my energy from the Spirit, Jesus says. The devil addresses next Jesus' mortality and divineness, his fully God and fully humanness. He takes him to the top of King Herod's temple and stands him on the edge of the highest point and says, jump, God will catch you. Jesus says, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not testing my father. The tempter last addresses Jesus' loyalty. He takes him to, the Bible says, a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. The devil says, this is yours, bro. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus, in what I perceive to be righteous anger, yells, away from me, Satan, like, I've had enough. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. My loyalty is to God. 
Then the devil gives up, and scripture says that the angels came and attended Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was hungry, sleep-deprived, cold, wearing the same outfit I'd been wearing for 40 days, and unsheltered, I would not have had anything close to a clear head. I didn't have anything close to a clear head when all I was deprived of at the lock-in was a little bit of sleep. If I were in Jesus' state of deprivation in his situation, the tempter's first temptation would have trapped me. I, I would have been too enticed by some bread to say, no, I love bread. The devil would have had it easy with me. I would have given in right away. <laughs> but if I didn't, uh, the second temptation to jump off the temple to see if God would act as my parachute and perform a little miracle uh, would have definitely got me. Like, okay, God, let's see if you're really who you say you are and if you really mean what you say about me. And if I somehow miraculously made it past that temptation, uh, receiving the splendor of all the kingdoms of the world with a simple bow would have sounded too incredible in my deprived brain to pass up. As just a mere human in these circumstances, my point is, I would have given in. But Jesus, as fully God and fully man in his deprivation, was physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually sustained by Ruach, by the breath and energy and spirit of God. In his deprivation, Jesus called on the spirit and on the word of God for strength and sustenance. And the spirit and the word came through, providing these mic-dropping responses to some pretty serious temptations. Jesus' loyalty remains to God. Jesus doesn't test his father. And Jesus is sustained by the spirit. And the truth is that Ruach can sustain you too. The Spirit can sustain you too. As you participate in this season of Lent, of giving up, of, I can't go so far to say deprivation, but maybe a taste of it, you can reflect a sliver of Jesus' first Lent. And Jesus invites us in our abstaining to remain loyal to and trusting of our God and to rely on Ruach for strength and sustenance because he knows that it is sustenance enough. The season of Lent also invites us to reflect on death on our mortality, on loss, the truth that from dust we were created and to dust we will return, that nothing is forever on this side of heaven. This is because Lent is a time to remember and prepare for Jesus' death on Good Friday. The Gospels tell us that Jesus sacrificed his holy and sinless life to cover all sin, yours and mine, and he did so through death on a cross. And the beauty of it all is that Jesus' death was the ultimate death that makes the earthly death of those who follow Jesus not permanent in eternity. 
But Jesus' death doesn't make us immune to earthly death or immune to the consequences of death or protected from the effects, the heartbreak of death, but it does give us hope and peace despite death. If you were at the Ash Wednesday service this week, you heard this there, that we are safe in death. My parents both have an app on their phone called We Croak. If you haven't heard of it, here's how their website describes it. The We Croak app is inspired by a Bhutanese folk saying, to be a happy person, one must contemplate death five times daily. Each day we'll send you five invitations to stop and think about death. Our invitations come at random times and at any moment, just like death. When they come, you can open the app to reveal a quote about death from a poet, philosopher, or notable thinker. We encourage you to take one moment for contemplation, conscious breathing, or meditation. We believe that a regular practice of contemplating mortality helps us accept what we must, let go of things that don't matter, and honor the things that do. At first, I thought it was crazy that my parents wanted to be reminded of death five times a day. But the more I thought about it, I realized how truly humbling, eye-opening, and grounding it can be, especially for someone who believes in a God who's conquered death, giving his beloved a life beyond it. Although it's just an app and it's inspired by a Bhutanese folk saying, I think it has a lot that reflects how we as Jesus followers can healthily and spiritually view life and death. Specifically, the last line. It says that contemplating mortality helps us do three things. Number one, thinking about death helps us accept what we must. It helps us accept the reality that life is fleeting. And we are but one speck on a timeline of eternity that someday we will no longer exist on this planet and yet the planet will keep spinning. It helps us accept the reality that the loved ones in our lives are mortal too. Some of us know this better than others and this can be a hard truth to hear. Our world is broken and death is unfair and painful to say the least. And being left behind leaves us broken hearted. Tends to be much easier to think about myself no longer existing on this earth than my loved ones no longer here with me. But the hope and the truth as followers of Jesus is that this earth is not the end and we will be reunited with them once again. Number two, it says that contemplating our mortality helps us let go of things that don't matter. It pulls us from our narrow zoom lens of day-to-day problems or joys out to a wide bird's-eye view of problems and joys. We gain perspective on conflict or grudges or anger or embarrassment, on disagreement or tension or material gain, on frustration or comparison or approval or status. In the grand scheme of things, we recognize that there are a lot of things that don't matter. But there are things that do matter. And number three, it says that contemplating our mortality helps us to honor those things. 
And the things that do matter, I think, can fall into one of these three categories. God, others, and ourselves. Near the end of Jesus' life in Matthew 22, he is questioned by an expert in the law. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Recognizing the fleeting nature of reality reminds us that what matters, what Jesus calls us to, is loving God and neighbor. Ruminating on thinking about the unpredictability of death reminds us that our neighbors, whether it be our deeply loved ones or people we don't know, are gifts, and each moment is precious and irreplaceable, and what matters is loving them and being loved by them. And it's the same with God. What matters is loving him and being called his beloved. Which leads me to my last word, delight. Delight in others too much. A common question people ask around this season that you may be asking is, why participate in Lent? Why should I fast? Maggie, why did you give up lights and screens and desserts for 40 days? Did you do it to just challenge yourself and see if you could go 40 days without switching on a light switch? What's the point? Do I need to do this to earn God's love or favor? Are we trying to build our own towers of Babel to make names for ourselves? I know I asked a lot of questions there, so let's turn back to the text for some answers. Jesus' baptism, as we referred to earlier, happens right before Jesus is led into the wilderness. Reading from Matthew 3, 16 through Matthew 4, 1, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Order is important here. Jesus didn't pass the temptation test, then get baptized, then receive the Spirit, then please his Father. No. Jesus is baptized, receives the Spirit, pleases his Father, then is led to fast. Jesus didn't need to earn God's approval. Jesus didn't need to fast before God decided to pour out his spirit on and be pleased by him. Jesus fasted out of obedience and reverence to God who was already well-pleased, who already delighted in him. Jesus fasted to learn his reliance on the sustenance of Ruach, Jesus fasted to be reminded of who he was living for. Jesus fasted to remember to whom he was loyal. And then, grounded in these truths, throughout his ministry, Jesus gets in trouble for delighting in people too much. This is why we fast. 
This is why we participate in Lent, not to earn God's approval or prove our worth, because God already loves and delights in us, but to obey and revere God as king of our lives, to remember our lives are lived for God, the one and only We fast to empty ourselves and recognize our complete reliance on God and the strength of the Spirit. And then, with that strength and only that strength, that ruach, can we truly delight in God, neighbor, and the things that really matter. Spending 40 days in a dark, candlelit house was an experience I will not forget. From highlights of candlelit dinners, a candlelit showers, candlelit worship nights, to lowlights of trying to find things buried in deep, dark closets, or washing dishes in the evening just to rewash them again in the morning because I couldn't see and I missed a bunch of spots. <laughs> the experience was overall unique, challenging, and beautiful. I did sleep a lot of hours, but most importantly, I committed to delight. I committed to trying to become like Jesus and delight in others too much. Our spirit-inspired decision to delight our house and delight in God and others proved to be a life-shaping experience because abstaining from anything out of obedience and reverence to God forces us, just like Jesus, into reliance on the sustenance of Ruach and into delight. So, my invitation to you this morning is threefold. Number one, where is God inviting you to get a taste of deprivation? In other words, what is God asking you to give up, if anything? Sugar? Dessert? Meat? Social media? Secular music? Dare I say, lights? Listen to the still, small voice of the Spirit even now and where it may be prompting you to get a taste of deprivation and follow the prompting. Fasting can be done in a lot of different ways. Traditionally, people choose one or a few things to fast from and they do it for the full 40 days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. Now, if you were to actually count the days from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, you'd see that there's actually 46 days. This is because there are six Sundays in Lent, and on Sundays we feast, not fast, which means Sundays aren't counted in the 40-day fast. So some people choose a full 40-day fast. Others choose to fast from something once, once or twice or three times a week. Still others, instead of giving up, may choose to implement something um, each day throughout Lent, like journaling or reading or uh, reading scripture or getting outside for an hour. And in doing so, they are actually giving up time that they may have otherwise spent. My point is, you can get creative because God is creative. It doesn't have to be a strict 40 days from food, and it can be manageable for you. Just something to give ruach in your deprivation, the opportunity to be sustenance. Number two, in your deprivation, contemplate mortality. Think about the inevitability of death, of loss. Download the We Croak app. 
set a reminder on your phone and see what difference it can make in your day-to-day life. See what major issues become minor. Gain new perspectives. See what delight and beauty you can find in your interactions. Give tighter hugs. Say I love you one more time. Make amends. Call that friend. Accept God's good gifts in the moment. And lastly, number three, delight. I challenge you to go and delight in others too much, just like Jesus did. See the image of God in them. Value them, their words, their achievements above your own. And I challenge you also to believe that you are beloved. God delights in you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to live and die for you. And if the incarnated Jesus was walking around with us today, he would get in trouble for delighting in you too much. And our response to that can only be deep, deep love for and delight in our Savior. And if none of these invitations spark anything in you, if you are too freshly wounded and confused and righteously angry about a death, or if you already feel too deprived in your life to be giving up one more thing, or if delighting in anything is just too hard right now, then let me just encourage you in this. Would you just hear this today, that no matter what, no matter what season you're in, no matter if you give up anything for Lent or not, the breath, the energy, the spirit of God, Ruach, is your strength and is sustenance enough. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Ruach, descend on us like a dove. We praise you for your presence and your sustenance in our deprivation. May we be open to where you may be leading us this Lent season to fast and be replenished by your spirit. May we find beauty and delight in you and in those around us. Thank you, Jesus, for your unconditional love and your unconditional strength. And may we, in turn, love you and others just as you have loved us. And as we turn to the table in a few moments, God, would you remind us that what gave us a seat at this table was the real and raw death and resurrection of your one and only son who was given out of the deepest love, which is you. May we taste and see that you are good. Amen.